Dear Lord, we thank you so much that while we were still sinners, you died for us. God, I pray this morning that you would open the eyes of our mind and of our hearts and give us understanding and clarity into your word. Lord, we submit this time to you, and if there's one who does not know you, I pray that you would draw them to know you as Savior this day. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6. We finished up 1 Samuel, the major stories. and Let me kind of pick up for you, help you right now, kind of see where we are at this point. And what has occurred in 1 Samuel is Saul has been killed in battle along with his sons. That happens at the very end of 1 Samuel. And so King Saul, the first king of all of Israel has now been killed. And now David, through at 2 Samuel, will assume the power of the throne, first at Hebron and then of all of Israel. And so David has waited faithfully for the Lord. He has not lifted his hand against Saul. But now King David is finally just that. He has become the king of all of Israel. And he one of his first acts that he does is that he... Uh, goes and captures and overtakes the city of Jerusalem. Up to this point, the Israelites did not possess the city of Jerusalem. The Jebusites did. A Canaanite people in which when the, their forefathers had inherited that land, they had never driven out. And so David goes and he drives out the Jebusites and he takes over the city of Jerusalem. And he makes it the capital city because it's right there on the border between Judah and Israel. And it's a natural fit. It's also a very naturally defended city. Matter of fact, uh, the Jebusites said, uh, let the blind and the lame try to come. Kind of insults him and said, there's no way you're going to get in here because nobody else ever has. Uh, but David finds a way through the power of God and overtakes the city. And now sets it up as his capital, uh, and it will be the holy city as well. And that's where this begins. That happens in 2 Samuel chapter 5. Now we come to 2 Samuel chapter 6, and all this has transpired. David has now become king. He's now taken Jerusalem as the capital city. And he wants to, to do a, a fairly good thing. He wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant uh, to the city of Jerusalem. Remember the Ark was what was in, uh, actually was in the, the uh, temple, or excuse me, the tabernacle of God as they were, as the people were driving through the lands and they were, I don't guess they were driving, they were actually walking, as they were going throughout the land and uh, in the Holy of Holies in the back of the tent, the Ark of the Covenant resided. And this was the holy presence of God. It's where God intersected mankind here on earth in the Ark of the Covenant. So it was the most sacred uh, and the most holy symbol and spot on earth, really, for all of mankind and certainly for uh, those who worshipped and served Yahweh God. But the ark has been gone for almost a hundred years at this point. Uh, it had been overtaken by the Philistines, and the Philistines had, had taken it in battle at one point when uh, the children of God had not gone forth properly and had not asked God's guidance. And so they had gotten the ark, and they thought it was kind of a trophy or kind of a war toy, and so they tried it out, and the problem was they broke out with tumors. and just wasn't a good thing. They said, you know, this is not good. This is not going well for us. Uh, let's put this on an ox cart and just send it back. And sure enough, they send it back. It gets across the border to a place called Karit Jerim. And it basically stays there, 
Okay? And it's in the house of Abinadab, this, uh, this Levite. And so we come forward, and David has decided, you know what? It's time for us to go get the ark. Let's go get the ark. Let's bring it to the holy city because it represents, not only represents, it is the very holiness of God, the presence of God here on earth. And so let's bring it into the city. So he, he wants to do something that at least from the outside looks like a good thing. And that's kind of where we're going to pick up and read this story. I'll be honest with you. This is, you may think I'm doing this on purpose. This is another one of those hard stories. And there are just a lot of hard stories in here, a lot of hard concepts. And this is another one of those passages or those stories that people whip out and go, what's the deal with if God's supposed to be a loving God? What is the deal here with this story in chapter 6 of 2 Samuel? And so we're going to look at it and hopefully we're going to understand it a little bit better. But I think it begs this question, you know, my title is Raiders of the Ark. It wasn't really lost. They knew where it was. And, uh, but they had to go get it. But the real message is one of familiarity versus holiness. Let me ask you this question today. What is sacred in your life today? What do you regard as sacred in your life today? Is, is your marriage something that you would consider sacred in your life today? Would you consider some of the things that we've done today uh, as you see this time of baby dedication is, is that a sacred time? Is the birth of your child a sacred time? Are your wife, is the marriage and the union of your wife, the relationship with your wife, is that sacred to you? When we observe communion, is that a time where you recognize the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ Himself and the sacredness of the moment? Uh, we're going to do baptism next hour. We're going to have some that are coming to be baptized next hour. Is that a time that is sacred? What is sacred in your life? Is the name of Jesus sacred? You see, at this point, the ark represents the holiness of God. Matter of fact, it literally is the presence of the holiness of God here on earth. And Jesus has not yet come, of course. But the people initially recognize this is a very sacred and holy thing. You see, with a group of people who did not have Bibles... They were forced to learn the Torah and understand what it said, and they did that very well. But they didn't have the things that you and I have. I want you to look at a couple of pictures. First of all, does anybody remember what is actually in the Ark? Ark of the Covenant. Anybody know what's in it? Ten Commandments. What else? Now we're giving you kindergarten hints right here. Manna goes in this jar, and then if you can believe it or not, that's the best we came up with on short notice. That is the rod of Aaron. It would have been much bigger and wouldn't have probably had pink flowers uh, hanging out of it. Uh, even though the almonds did bud out of it, it did have a bud out of it. But nevertheless, uh, that was, that's what was actually in the ark. Now, let's look at a picture of the ark real briefly. Again, this, we, we don't actually have the ark, regardless of what Harrison Ford uh, found. Uh, but the descriptions that we have, this is the best we can do. If you'll notice, there are long poles. There's two cherubim on the top. There are long poles that the Levites were uh, supposed to use to carry the ark. Okay? <clears throat> now, just to give you a picture of how uh, our society really does not view the sacred anymore. I noticed that one of the most popular games by Apple on the iPhone now is called Pocket God. Pocket God. And what Pocket God is, is a little video game you can play where you get to kind of be God. And you decide who lives and who dies on this particular island. So you can um, zap them with lightning if you want to. You can feed them to the sharks. 
Um, you can give them things, give them gifts and food. You can do whatever you want to in the, in the little video pocket God. And you basically get to be your own God. I saw an interview with a guy yesterday, and the, the guy who actually created it, and he goes, yeah, I'm making a lot of money off this thing. It's one of the most popular uh, games on Apple phone. And, and basically, it's just that. You get to be God. If you were God, how would you handle the people? What would you do to them? And it gives people the opportunity to just kind of be God. And I've got another version coming out. And uh, just interesting how it's so true. It, it basically plays upon the desires of our heart, which is we want to play God. We want to be God. And we don't understand the sacredness of the holiness of God. Well, let's read this passage here as we go in First Samuel chapter, excuse me, Second Samuel chapter six, beginning with the first verse. And David again brought together out of Israel the chosen men, thirty thousand of them in all, and. He and all his men set out Baalath Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim and are on the ark. Okay, so what is David doing here? David, as we discussed earlier, has now become king. He's taken over the city of Jerusalem. He wants to bring the ark into Jerusalem. And so what does he do? Why does he send out 30,000 men? It's like he's afraid somebody's going to steal it. Uh, what's going on here? Well, basically, he's uh, constructing a huge parade, a huge processional. These men, that wasn't uncommon for the, the military to get together and for the military to basically uh, come in in a procession when a new king was inaugurated or a new emperor was inaugurated. So this wasn't an un, unheard of thing, but David wants to make a big deal of it. So he gets 30,000 men and they go to get the ark and they start to bring it back. And this is what occurs. And they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill which was on a hill, and Uzzah and Ohio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart. Now, if we had time, you could go back to Numbers chapter 4. And Numbers chapter 4 clearly identifies how the ark is to be handled, how it is to be moved. It gives very specific instructions, and then you see more about it in First Chronicles 15. But basically, let me give you a few, just a few of the things that were supposed to uh, occur with the ark. Recognizing that this is the most holy and most sacred thing that the, the Jewish people possess here on earth. And it is literally uh, the presence or the holiness of God here on earth. And so, it was supposed to, first of all, uh, only be carried by Levites who were direct descendants of Moses. So you had to be a direct descendant of Moses. There was a certain tribe that you had to be a part of. Number two, uh, it was always supposed to be covered, except when the high priest went one time a year into the Holy of Holies. Okay, That was the only time uh, it was ever uncovered and a sacrifice was produced at that point. So only once a year, but by no one else was it even uh, to be seen. So you've got... Um, a specific way that it is to be covered by give us specific details on cloth uh, is not supposed to be seen. And then when it is moved, it is supposed to be moved by a specific uh, tribe with, or excuse me, a specific family within the Levite family. And then fourthly, it is to be carried. 
It is to be carried, and we saw the poles earlier, to be carried on those Levite shoulders, and they are to take it. They are also went through several other things. They had to be made clean. They had to go through certain rituals. So there was a lot that went into it before it was to be moved. All right. And, and the reason God did that, again, because this is the most sacred. This is the holiness. I want you to recognize my holiness. I want you to recognize the significance of this ark. It's not just a symbol. It's not a box. It is literally the presence of my holiness here. So, let's continue and read here. And they set the ark of the God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab. We just read that. And then the Bible says, With the ark of God on it, Ohio was walking in front of it, and David and the whole house of Israel were with them and were celebrating with all their might before the Lord. The songs, the harps, the lyres, the tambourines, the sistrums, and the cymbals. Which, uh, by the way, they were already worshiping with instruments by then. I know some people are disturbed by that. Uh, but when they came to the threshing floor at Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark because the oxen stumbled, and the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act, and therefore the Lord struck him down, and he died beside the ark of God. Wow. Wow. That, that's huge. Now, what's happened here? Let's talk about it for a second. Uzzah and Ohio, it's not Ohio, it's Ohio, by the way. Um, Ohio were, um, they actually were probably Levites. We don't know if they're descendants of Moses, but they actually were Levites. And the ark has resided at their house for at least the last 20 years. So they've grown up seeing the ark. They know it's over there. It's become very familiar with them. It's probably out in their barn or some special building. They know it's there. And they've just grown up around it. They've had the privilege, so to speak, of having the ark in their family. Now, some of us can relate to that. Some of us grew up in a Christian family. We grew up with Bibles around our home. Matter of fact, how many of you own more than one Bible right now? Raise your hand. Okay. I've got several. I had one more, but I lost my main Bible. If you see it, I'd sure like it. But uh, nevertheless, we've grown up as a privileged group of people. You know, the, the other thing for those who are growing up at this point, they didn't have copies of the Bible. Matter of fact, until about 200 years ago, most people, even in America, did not have a copy of the Bible. Really, in the last hundred years, it's when everybody started having a family Bible because it wasn't accessible. It wasn't available. And it wasn't, uh, matter of fact, even if you could, if you could get one, they usually weren't affordable. But God has chosen to bless our generation with not only easy access, but with multiple accesses to the Word of God, at least here within our within the United States. Now, if you go overseas, you'll understand what a precious commodity this is. But many of us have become so familiar. So it's a book in, it's a paperweight. I can get to that anytime I want to. We've become so familiar with these stories of God. Yeah, I know the story of David and Goliath, the story of Jesus. Those are all great stories. And we become very familiar and we don't recognize the holiness of God. And the holiness of what we've been given us. And the holiness of the Word of God. And maybe Uzzah, even though he didn't have near the benefits we have, had become much like most of us. So familiar with it that, yeah, I know, 
I know there's certain things to be done with the ark. First of all, we see this ark being carried and we're not sure that they had probably, it didn't indicate to us that they had sanctified themselves, that they were actually supposed to be carrying the ark. And so they kind of went through several aspects that probably negate the presence of God and the protection of God. And then not only that, we see this happening. God specifically forbids them from touching the ark. They were not supposed to touch it. They were supposed to carry it on the poles. And what are they doing? Well, they go and they get it just like they got it from the Philistines who didn't know God, whom God, even though they broke, the tumors broke out upon them, they got rid of it. They had enough sense to get rid of it. They didn't know God, so they sent it off on an oxen cart. An oxen cart. A cart that, you know, was probably put together, was kind of in a square nature, had a couple of wheels. And, and uh, usually if you have an oxen in a cart like that, the front person just kind of goes the oxen front and somebody in the back uh, might be there to push it if it gets stuck or something. And that's where Uzzah is. And first of all, they shouldn't be using a cart. That's the way that the Canaanites, the pagans, moved their idols around. They put it upon a new cart and they goaded their oxen or their donkeys or whatever. And that's the way the pagans did it. But God said, no, I am holy. I don't want you to treat me like one of the idol gods. I want you to recognize the holiness of who I am and my presence. And it is to be done far different than the way that you've seen these idols, these wooden and carved images treated. So I don't want to be placed on a cart. I don't want you to place my most holy presence upon a cart because it's easy and because that's the way they carry gods around today. I want you to be different. I want you to be a holy people. And I want you to recognize that there's only one specific family group and tribe that's going to carry it. And I want it carried. I don't want it placed in some dumpy cart. But that's exactly what they did. So now they have virtually broken all the, all the specifications that God has given them in Numbers 4. And what happens? The final thing, they should not touch it. And here they are, doing it their way, going about religion their way. And the ox has a little trip. And the Bible says that Uzzah irreverently reaches up and he grabs that ark. The presence of God. And God strikes him dead. Now that seems tough, doesn't it? That seems rather harsh. Let me ask you this. When God has really captured your attention in life, has it been because you read something? Or because you experienced something or someone else experienced something or your family? Isn't it often because of our sinful fallen nature, and I don't think this is God's desire, we usually, usually only things that are significant grab us. And we see this happening regarding the holiness of God. God will not reduce Himself to a common everyday God status, idol status. I am holy, and whether you believe it or not, whether you choose to obey or not, will not change that fact. And there is a limit to my mercy if you will not recognize the holiness of God. And so, in fact, that's what happens. They presume upon the mercies of God. They presume upon the grace of God. And God says, enough. And we see this happening also with Uzziah, who is a king who is doing very well. But he decides to take it upon himself to go into the temple of God and to begin to burn the incense before the holiness of God. 
And this priest come in and tell him, don't do that. And he does it anyway. He gets angry with them. And then leprosy breaks upon him. God takes his holiness very serious, and particularly when it's a new era. And can I tell you this? They never treated the ark with disrespect again. I mean, for history. You don't think they told that story from then on? Hey, hey, let me tell you about that ark. I mean, one of the things, I don't want to get too close to that. I don't want to, because let me tell you, your grandfather tells me about this time where this guy, dude named Uzzah, reached out and grabbed it, and God, God took him out. I mean, they remember this story for the rest of history. Okay? There's no doubt about the holiness of the ark from this point on. And so, I, perhaps God, one of the lessons that He is teaching us here is, first of all, the need for the ark. And when we say the ark in that day, it's the presence of God. First of all, the people had the need for the ark. They needed it. They needed the presence of God. They needed to be rescued by God because there was no way they were going to make it on their own. David recognized this. Saul has already been defeated. Many thousands of their brethren have been killed. Unless the presence of God go before us, so will be the same for us. And so David recognizes this, their need for the ark. And number two, the holiness of the ark. David commanded him to go get it, but David, in his zeal and in his kind of newness, David would have heard the instruction. He would have known how the ark had been to be carried and how it was to be treated, but he lets it happen anyway. And what occurs? We know the result. So there is the need for the ark. Number two, there's the holiness of the ark. And then there's the gospel truth of the ark. And what I mean by the gospel of truth, this is a foreshadowing of the real presence of God, which is Jesus Christ here on this earth. That's why I asked you earlier, is there anything sacred in your life? Is Jesus, the name of Jesus, the person of Jesus, is that sacred to you today? Or is it a name that we throw around, we try to use to manipulate God or to get what we want? Here's, here's the deal. The real truth of it is, and here are the rock points, so to speak. Number one, a lot of us do this. A lot of us simply worship the wrong God. We worship a God that we've made up in our mind, our little pocket God, a God who is kind of sent to God. Like, He'll be really nice, and I'll do some nice things for Him, and He'll do some nice things for me, and we'll all be happy. Sent to God. And I can really basically do whatever I want, the way I want, when I want, how I want. But I think another thing that this lesson teaches is that God has a very specific way for us to come to Him. The Bible tells us in, uh, in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through Me. That's the way. That's the way it happens. The gospel truth of the ark. The gospel truth of Christ Jesus. Number two, not only do people, some people just simply worship the wrong God, some worship the true God the wrong way. What do I mean by that? Well, some people believe that Jesus is Savior, believe that God is Almighty, but they decide, you know, the way that I'm going to be connected to Him is I'm going to be really good, and also I'm not going to do bad things. I'm not going to drink, dip, and chew, and date girls and boys who do. I'm, I'm going to get rid of my television. I, whatever it is that you're going to do, I'm not going to do all these things, and that's going to make me acceptable to God. That's going to make me holy, and this will all work out. I'm not going to do some things, and there's some things I will do. I will go to church. I will smile. I will sing songs. 
I, I will pray. I'm going to do these things. And you're trying to get to God the wrong way. He's the right God, but you're trying to get there the wrong way. And that's exactly what was happening right here with David. You know, the Philistines, they were just worshiping the wrong God. But now, here's David, and he's worshiping the right God, but the wrong way. He's making his own method. You know, this is, this is the way they do it in our culture. This is the way you worship God. You put him on a cart and you bring him on in. That's the way you do it here. This is the way we do it today in, in, in America. You know, you, you, you watch it on television or you go and you smile and you go, that's good. No, that's not good. That's not so good. And then you leave and you go, yeah, I go to church. I'm a Christian. I got baptized. That's it. I got my card stamp, so to speak. We kind of come to God the wrong way instead of what? It's the gospel arc. What is the gospel today? Here it is. That God Almighty is holy, perfect, and pure. He is not a force. He is the force of the universe. He is the cause of the universe. He is the great I Am. He is God. And I, in my own self, cannot come before Him. He's holy and perfect and pure. And sin cannot come before Him. And I am a sinner. I'm not just a sinner. I'm far away from God. I am nowhere close to being good enough to make up the gap. There's this huge margin of error. And the deal is is that I owe $10 billion on my house and I make $40,000 a year. How am I going to pay that debt off? You're not. You're not. That's the condition that we're in. And we need forgiveness We need somebody to cancel our debt and forgive us of our sins. And I can only experience God through His grace and forgiveness. That I recognize it's not by my works I am saved, but it is by grace through faith. So I commit my life to Him. I transfer my trust from anything that I could do for my good deeds to what God has done on the cross. And I quit trying to do it my way. I come the right way through Jesus. I come recognizing that God is holy and that I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. And I can only come to Him by grace as He invites me and receives me. As I humble my heart and I transfer my trust completely to Him. That's the truth of the ark. And it's the truth of the gospel today. That is the holy truth. And when we start to say, well, there's... Other ways of being there, and I can get good enough, or what about this or that? We reduce the sacred and the holiness of God to the cart God. The God that's placed in a cart and wheeled around. Moralism, or relativism, or tolerance, or whatever it is. And I can just get there and kind of put my God in there amongst the other gods. But let me tell you, there is no other God, and there is no other way. And that is the sacred truth of the Gospel. And we either receive Him in His purity and His fullness, or we reject Him completely. There is no middle ground for the holiness and the sacredness of God. So here's my question to you today. Have you ever trusted Jesus Christ fully as your Savior? Recognize that you were a sinner, that God was holy, and the bridge could never be built Aside from Jesus Himself becoming that bridge. The gap could never be closed. What about you this morning? Have you done it? Maybe you're a believer this morning and you simply have begun 
do not see the sacredness and the holiness of God. It's become so familiar. You've heard so many stories, sang so many songs. It's just an action I go through tritely. Then you, in fact, have become the Uzzah. What about it? Have you ever really trusted God? Or are you trusting in the image or the cart God that you've come up with that your society has produced? You see, I serve a God who, in His holiness, I cannot control. He's too powerful. And if He chooses to send a message in that way, then I just have to fall on my knees and say, God, though You slay me, yet I trust You. God, that's not the way I do it. But thank God You're not a pocket God. You are the God of the universe. And I have no business telling you how to run your business. I just want to worship you and recognize you. So today, is it pocket God? Or is it the God of the Scripture whom you cannot tame, control? Who will make you scratch your head? Who's too big for you to wrap your arms around and figure out and control and put in a box? Or is it simply a figment of your imagination? Let's pray. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You, God, that, Lord, we serve a God we can't figure out all the things about. We cannot manipulate You. We cannot control You. We can't go get arcs and take them to the, to the temple and think that we've really done something for You and now we possess You. God, You will not allow us to put You in that kind of box. And that when You do, God, You consistently show us that You will not be held within our own desires and the way we think you need to operate. Lord, I pray if there's one today who's not trusted the real, true, and living God through the person of Jesus Christ, they've not recognized that you are God, they are sinners, and that they need forgiveness, and it can only be granted through the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross. I pray, Lord, today that you would draw them by the power of your Spirit. Lord, for believers who've become complacent, and lackadaisical with the sacred things of God, with the Holy Word of God, with prayer, Lord, with the times of communion, Lord, with the name of Jesus itself, with the institution of marriage, Lord, the covenants that we have made. I pray that we would recognize the holiness of Your name and the holiness of those acts and that we would do them as an act of worship. That we would recognize the sacredness of Your name and of Your honor and of Your glory. And then in all that we do, Lord, we give You the credit. And Lord, we recognize that we've not earned or deserved it, but it is a gift that You have been granted to us. Lord, I pray that You speak to our hearts this day. In Your name I pray. Amen.